I'm talking to you about surrender this morning, and we just sang it, and, and what I mean when I use the word surrender and what I think Jesus expects from us is, is a heart attitude that is best defined by his prayer, Father, not my will, but yours be done. The night before he was crucified, Jesus was praying to not have to go to the cross. He was praying so hard he started sweating blood. So when we use the word surrender, I don't mean that you can't pray what you want. Because Jesus did tell his father what he wanted. Father, if there is any other way, I don't want to do this. But then he finished his prayer with, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So surrender is not just giving up and laying down and being a doormat for other people and life circumstances and even God to just trample on you with, with whatever is going to happen. Surrender is not a passive giving up, but it is after I have done what I know to do after I have given God all my requests and my fears and my anger and all of that, I just lay it down and say, Jesus, your will be done. Whatever you want is what I want. If we can genuinely arrive at surrender, it is not opposed to faith. I heard Pastor Bill Johnson say just a week ago that faith doesn't come from trying harder, it comes from surrender. We cannot grit our teeth and manufacture faith within us. Like, I'm just going to believe for this thing. We come to faith through surrender. Lord, your will be done. So a lot of times, a lot of days, it takes a long prayer to arrive at actual, genuine surrender. Because I'm still trying to talk God into doing what I want. And that's fine as long as I arrive at surrender. But when I arrive at surrender and I know that I know that I know that I laid it down and like I've given God all that I need to tell him, I've been honest with him and myself about the circumstance, and then I say, okay, God, that's all my thoughts and feelings on the matter. Now I genuinely accept what you want. You do it your way. That's surrender. But when you arrive there, then either through the Bible or by the Holy Spirit in your heart, when you hear from God, you can have rock-solid, tenacious faith because I know that I know that I know that I surrendered and I know I heard from God and this is what he wants me to do now. This is, what he, this is the promise he gave me. I know this is what his word is and I'm not coloring it through my own expectations or my own wishes. I can have real faith. So... Pastor Bill is right when he says faith doesn't come from trying harder, it, it's surrender. And when we surrender, miracles happen. I heard a story of a healing miracle. Uh, it was a church elder, I believe, in Vermont. I heard a sermon on surrender. This was Otto Koning, for those of you who know the pineapple guy. He tells this story. He said that there was a, a church elder in a Sunday night service, and Otto preached on surrender. And this older man had a bad knee. And he said, God, I want you to heal my knee. But I surrender to your will. Your kingdom come and your will be done in my body. And if you don't heal my knee, I will be the best, 
bad need servant you've ever had. I surrender to my need to you. Your will be done. I believe it was the next day, but it may have been later on in the week, but very soon after, he's walking down his sidewalk, and the sidewalk at his house has a tree root growing up through it, so had that jagged hump there, and he tripped over it and landed on his bad knee. And it was excruciating pain. He's writhing on the sidewalk or in his front lawn or whatever, holding his knee, and he says, God, I really meant it. I really meant it. I really, really meant it. I meant it, God. I meant it. And he stood up completely healed. Brand new knee, no pain, no malfunction, nothing. And he came back to church and he tells Otto, he said, God healed my knee when I tripped over the tree root. And Otto says, no, he healed you when you doubled down on surrender. So surrender is not passive. It is hard work. It is a fight to surrender. Irony of ironies. It is a fight to surrender to God. But it's a fight of peace and patience and love and faith instead of strife. So, so we're fighting to surrender um, these days. And I'm getting a lot of specific feedback from you all. I know we're on the right track here. So I want to continue. So we're going to start in Matthew 24, 12 this morning. Jesus is speaking. He's answering the disciples' question, what will be the signs of the end of the age and of your coming? And amongst a lot of other signs that he tells us is the end of the world, the end of the age, the return of Jesus, he says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Of this list of all these things that will happen before he comes. And, but I just want to focus on this one this morning. Jesus said that at the end of the age, lawlessness will increase and most people's love will grow cold. Well, we live in a lawless day. If, if we had to pick a one, one word to describe America in 2023, lawless would be the word. Things are chaotic, they're evil, they're stupid. It's really bad. And so Jesus says, when that happens, most people's love will grow cold. And the word love there in Scripture, those of you who are not familiar with Greek that the Bible was written in, there are three words in the Bible in the New Testament that get translated love into English. There's eros, which means romantic or sexual attraction love. There's phileo, which means family and friendship love. And there is agape, which only always means God's love. And that's the word Jesus used. The agape of most people will grow cold. Well, the only people that have agape in them is the church, the Christians. Nobody in the world, nobody who's not born again has agape. And everyone who is in Christ, the Bible says the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. So when Jesus says, because of lawlessness, the love of people will grow cold, he is only talking to us. He's not talking to loveless people in the world. He's talking to Christians in church. He said the danger of lawlessness in your world is going to be that you stop caring. It's going to get so bad that one of the effects, Jesus is telling his disciples what's going to happen, is it's going to get so bad that one of the effects of that that I'm warning you about now is that you will stop caring about other people. So I'm here today to talk to you about surrendering 
that because we do live in a, an extremely lawless world, a lawless nation. It, it's everywhere. It's the tent cities of the so-called campers, now is the word we're using, um, in Portland and, and the transgender lie that is sweeping our country and the government corruption and lies, just lies everywhere. And it's overwhelming and it's terrifying and it's brutal. It's ruining people's lives and inflation and interest rates and Mexican drug cartels and Chinese communists and cheating in elections and just, it's just overwhelming. It's so lawless that Jesus said, I warn you now, if you're not careful, your love will grow cold. When you drive through on the freeway in Portland and you see all the campers, as they're called now, on the exit ramps and the medians, and do you shake your head in disgust? Do you get angry at the politicians that allow that? Do you say it's such a shame that Portland and Seattle used to be such beautiful cities? Or do you weep for the hellishly broken lives that are on display right there in front of us by the thousands? They're right in front of us. And we drive right past. It's cold love. You go to Walmart and you see the boy pretending to be a girl and you just go buy your milk and your lemons and keep your head down and it's cold love. I see in response to the lawlessness of our world, the unreality of it all, the overwhelming lunacy that's going on, and the unstoppable corruption, I see three responses. I see apathy, and I see approval, and I see anger. Some, and I'm talking about in Christians. No, I'm not talking about anybody in the world who doesn't claim to know Jesus. I'm talking about people who claim to be Jesus' disciples, and then it's, it's just apathy. I'm, I'm too busy with my own schedule. I got my job. I got my bills. I'm having fun on TikTok and Instagram and I'm living my best life while I drive by the guy on Adams Avenue that's walking on the sidewalk and talking to the air. And I just turn my head and, ignore, and act like I didn't see that. To be apathetic is a grotesque selfishness. I certainly don't mean you have to stop and give money to everybody at the Walmart stop sign that's asking. And I, I know that you can't go talk to everybody living under every bridge, even in our own town. But you can care in some real way. Another answer that some so-called Christians have is to approve of it all. Here, let me hold your hand while you roll down the mountainside into hell. Let me cheer you on in your pretending to be the opposite sex. And, and let me give you welfare while you live in a tent and shoot up heroin. And To approve of it is cold love. 
cheer people on in their abomination. But Eastern Oregon being what it is, the most common response is anger. A preacher preaching this sermon in Portland would probably have to address approval and apathy more than anger. But a preacher in LaGrande probably have to talk mostly about anger. Because I know there's a bunch of Oliver Anthony fans in here. Being angry about the state of our culture and our media and our government and our world is, is an understandable response, but it's purely fleshly. And the Bible says that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. We're not going to save anybody by being mad at him. I said we're not going to save anybody by being angry at them, no matter how stupid or evil they are. We're not going to save anyone by being angry. But the problems are real, and you see that, and you have common sense, and you see that they have reduced womanhood to a costume. They tell a boy, all that makes a woman is long hair and makeup and boobs, and so if you put those on, you're a girl. They tell a girl, if you cut yours off, you're a boy, because that's the only thing that makes you a woman. It's a lie, and it's from hell. And it's taking our junior hires and our college students hostage, and they are so ignorant, they don't know any better. That's evil. So it's understandable that we would be angry about that, but that isn't going to save anybody. They're also destroying masculinity for the same reason, but we won't go into that. Heroin and meth and fentanyl are, are from hell, and they are destroying our country. They're destroying our town. These are not Portland and Seattle problems. These are Union and Elgin problems. And it's right to be furious that our government lets the Mexican cartels walk across the border to bring them here, paid for by China. That's perfectly common sense to hate that. But we have to surrender it because there isn't anything I can do except love the guy in front of me who's sitting on the sidewalk with his backpack and his bike. I can, I can go sit next to him and talk to him. I stopped and talked to a guy at the Walmart stop sign maybe a month and a half ago or so who literally had no nose whatsoever. It was gone. He looked like a skeleton. I could see right straight into his sinuses. He had nothing here. And he's standing there asking for money. And I'm like, this guy probably needs some attention and looks like he needs somebody who's not afraid of him to just go be kind. So I stood and talked with him for 20 minutes and I gave him 20 bucks and he's from Baker City, told me his life, a little bit about his life, where he was headed and where he was going and just don't let your love grow cold. Just care. You don't have to fix the problems, you can't. But don't let your heart grow cold. Let Jesus love the person through you. Sarah and I were at Wild Horse two weeks ago filling up with fuel and a vehicle pulls up right behind us so close that they almost touch our rear bumper and a woman gets out and she says, you buy gas. So they wanted us to buy her gas. You buy gas. But she was Romanian. I got that out of it and, and all, all I could get out of her was Washington. Washington. I said, where are you going in Washington? 
Why are you here? How did you get here? Because I just, I don't believe anybody. I'm so skeptical that my love is cold. Because I'm surrounded by lawlessness, which is lies, and it's made my love grow cold. And I want to care about her. And if it's legit, I will give her a $100 bill. But I'm assuming that 99 times out of 100, this is not legit. And I just kept trying to get out of her. Where are you going? How much gas do you need? Where, why are you here? Where did you come out? If you don't have any money, how'd you get this far? You know, which direction are you going from Washington? And, and she just like, Washington, need gas, need gas. And, and then her, I don't know, eight, nine, ten-year-old son is there playing something on his phone. I said, do you speak English? No. Like, well, that, that seems fishy. <laughs> he understood enough to answer no. <laughs> but... I, I don't know. I, I was like, I'm sorry. I, I just can't. I, and I, just, I just needed to get away and think about it. Sarah was in the restroom. And in, from inside the wild horse truck stop, we're looking out the window. And, and when I had left the gas pump and they pulled up in, I, they didn't just fill up with gas. Like she was still going around asking like, well, if I was in a foreign country where I didn't speak the language and I didn't have any money and I needed gas, I would desperately want God to send somebody to help me. So I asked Sarah, I said, what do you think? And I told her everything I just told you. She's like, nope, nope, it's a lie. I'm like, well, maybe it is, but maybe it isn't. And um, I said, how about we give it to them? We'll just give it to Jesus, and if they're lying, Jesus can deal with them. And if they're not, Jesus is helping them. Either way, just give it to him. And, 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 and she agreed to that, and like, yes, and and we blessed them and prayed for them. And actually, when I gave her the money, she smiled really big. And I still am thinking, I'm being taken. I'm a sucker. That's cold love. But I'm like, okay, Jesus, I, I don't care. This money's yours anyway. And if you want us, you, you have them pull in front, behind our car and not somebody else's. Like, I can't, I can't say no. I have to do this. And, and she says, Jesu? And I said, yes. And she says, and she bowed and she's, and, and I'm like, that could be fraud too, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, I know people target Christians on purpose, but she brought it up. I didn't. And she said, thank you. And we drove off. We have to not let our heart grow hard because there's so much lying happens here at the church all the time. People ask us for money for this and that, and, and I know they're lying. They're just mooching off of us. And it's, it's an agony of conscience. <laughs> who do I help and who do I not? And, you know, how do we make these decisions? And we can't let our love grow cold, and we can't get angry about it. So I am here to this morning to invite you to surrender your anger and your judgment but it's not enough just to surrender and give up our anger. That will just lead to apathy. We have to surrender to compassion. We have to surrender to compassion. And I don't mean pity and I don't mean sympathy. I'm using the word compassion on purpose. I specifically do not mean sympathy and I don't mean pity. I just mean taking care of the person in front of us, whatever is best for them in that situation. Human pity and human sympathy are from hell. 
It's created the welfare system that has destroyed millions of lives. Welfare is from hell. But I mean compassion. So I'm asking you this morning that when you drive through Portland and you see the thousands of people living in tents and pushing shopping carts, not only that you don't get angry about that or that you don't complain about it, but that you open your heart to cry, to pray for them as you drive by. I realize you can't stop in the middle of 205 and get out and talk to them, but you can cry for Satan's destruction of their lives. And it really is hard to carry the fiery love of God in your heart and let that out without buffering it with anger or pain or trying to do something to fix this person when they don't want fixed. Cry real tears. Be moved in love. Because no disciple of Jesus should ever be a source of rejection. These people have the reason they're where they're at is rejection. It's the root of everything. Mostly fatherlessness, but rejection of all different kinds. We have to show compassion instead of rejection. To the guy walking down the sidewalk with his shopping cart, the guys living under the bridge at Riverside Park, or the really messed up people pretending to be the opposite sex in Walmart. People who are making really destructive decisions, destroying families and businesses and and our whole societal structure and fabric is rotting away. But anger is never going to fix it. Listening to rich men north of Richmond an 18th time isn't going to fix anybody. It just makes you stirred up in your anger. Because the things he's singing about are legitimate. But it doesn't do any good. It's just anger and complaint. So we haven't heard from Antifa for three years. Big mystery, why? I think the next 14 months we're in for something that is going to make us all wish we were back in 2020. I think there's some really big, bad stuff coming. Hard stuff that's going to stir up our nation in all that same raging of the nations that was going on in 2020. And I'm just telling you in the name of Jesus, don't get angry. Don't be afraid. Don't comply. And don't cave. We just have to be the light. In, but in real love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, whatever we do, if we do it without love, it's meaningless. It doesn't matter what truth we stand for if it isn't in love. I want to remind you what Paul said about himself in 1 Timothy. He said, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it in ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Paul said, 
in my old life, I blasphemed God and I persecuted to the point of murder. I persecuted his people and I was an insolent man. And the Greek word there means violently arrogant. The word insolent in the Greek there means violently arrogant. Well, if that doesn't describe the Rainbow Flag Coalition and Antifa and the Mexican drug cartels and the Chinese communists, that they're, we're, the world is violently arrogant. And the haters call us haters while hating us. They're violently arrogant. Paul says, I received mercy from God because I was ignorant. Well, if there was anybody in the whole world that was not ignorant, it was Paul. He was probably the most educated man of his day in Judaism he knew what he was doing. He was doing it on purpose. He'd been educated to be the Pharisee of Pharisees. But Paul says, I was utterly ignorant of what was actually true. And so God had exceeding abundant mercy on me. Can you see the online haters and the in-person haters and the street rock throwers and the People marching down the street, we're gay and we're here for your kids. Can you see them as future apostles of Jesus Christ? Instead of responding with fear and anger, see through Jesus' eyes, these people don't know anything. And so I don't hold them accountable. I want to save them. Don't pray for America's destruction. That's not God's will. There's a lot of Christians angry, and so they're like, God's going to judge America. Fire's coming. When Jonah was sent to Nineveh and he preached and they repented, Jonah got mad at God for not destroying them. And God says, do you want me to destroy a city where there's 10,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left? The Bible historians think that means that Nineveh's population was so large there was 10,000 kids under four or five years old. Which is probably true. Nineveh was an enormous city. Modern day Portland. Hello. And the entire city repented in a day when Jonah preached without a single miracle. The fear of the Lord came. It can happen in Portland and Seattle. It can happen. But God's response is, you want me to destroy this city with 10,000 people who don't know the right hand from their left? So maybe it's God's talking about the large population, but I'm not exactly convinced that's all of what God means. But he means the people of this city are so ignorant, morally, they don't know their right hand from their left. That is America. That's the 60-year-olds in America that don't know their right hand from their left. That's the 40-year-olds, that's the 20-year-olds, that's the 5-year-olds. Morally, they don't know their right hand from their left. And Paul said, even though I was a wicked person, there was exceeding abundant grace because I was ignorant. I'm not saying God's not going to judge America. I'm saying our job is to intercede for mercy because that's what God wants to do. 
God wants to pour out his spirit on Portland and Seattle where there's mass deliverances and mass healings and the streets are full of dancing and praising the Lord by the millions of people instead of tent cities and homelessness and drugs and welfare and destroyed lives. I have a vision because it's happened historically. This has already happened in certain places around the world for the last 2,000 years. I have a vision of the interstates getting shut down in Portland because there's so many people standing in the road, kneeling in the road, crying out to God, praying, confessing their sin, getting delivered and healed and saved in a mass move of the Holy Spirit where five minutes before, no one was asking for that. It happened in the Hebrides in the 1950s and in entire villages uh, uh, on the Scottish islands. Every single person hit their knees on their face, crying out to God, and they had no idea why. The bars closed down. Everyone was in church all day, every day, just because of a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit. Duncan Campbell, one of the preachers famous from that revival, he said, he said, this is what happened. The fear of the Lord fell and men and women who weren't seeking God all of a sudden were in a moment because God wants to save. He does not want to destroy. God wants to save. He does not want to destroy. I can imagine a day, it's been prophesied by other people, but I agree with it and I, can, I, can, I imagine it when I pray, where there are no Seahawks games are possible because it's 24-7 in the church in the stadium where they have to kick people out every three hours and bring in a new crowd, and they f we fill the Seahawks Stadium 24-7 for weeks. Because Seattle is crying out for Jesus. I, I can see it. Because Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's a serious prayer. It's an eternal prayer. It's not just for the Roman soldiers that nailed the nails through, hammered the nails through his hands. It's for all of us too. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There are people that we don't need to have compassion on. The agenda leaders who are lying and taking our kids hostage, the people literally kidnapping kids for sex trafficking, the, the Mexican drug cartels, the, the book of James says, you save them with great fear, hating even their clothes, stained by sin. I don't think you should let somebody who's addicted to fentanyl in your house. It's deadly stuff. We save them with fear. But I'm talking about compassion on the individual. The Bible says that um, the church is a body, that each one of us is a body part. I'd like to use that picture as of America. If America is a body, then every person is a cell. And the Bible says when one part hurts, we all hurt. And in another verse, the Bible says no one ever hated his own body. There's a lot of Christians hating America. They're hating the rest of their body. Judging people who don't need more judgment. They need compassion. America has cancer, and it is systemic, and we are dying. 
and we need a miraculous healing, not a bunch of angry Christians. What too many people who call themselves Christians are disobedient or lazy or, or holding their hand and helping them into hell by approving of what they're doing. Jesus, save us. Lord, we confess that we've let our love grow cold. We confess that we've gotten suspicious and angry and hard-hearted and apathetic, looking the other way, pretending that we didn't see that broken life right in front of us. Jesus, forgive us for responding to lawlessness with cold love. Lord, it hurts to have your fire inside us and to care about people so deeply and then they won't receive help or they won't believe the truth or they, the problem is too big for us to fix and so we just get overwhelmed and, and just quit. Just quit. Jesus, put your fire back in our love. Put your fire back in our heart that we would genuinely care for the people who are so lost, so lied to, taken hostage by the devil to do his will. Lord, we give you our anger and we give you our fear and we give you our apathy. We receive your truth. We receive your forgiveness. We receive your healing. Lord, we can't do this. We, we cannot accomplish this. Only you can. Even in our own hearts, Lord, we cannot maintain our own love. We can't be nice enough people to succeed. Lord, this must be by your spirit that you brand us with your fiery love to get out of our own selfish schedules and agenda, our own money-making and running around and going on vacations and watching videos and get out of our lives and love our neighbor. Forgive us for complaining about our neighbors, Lord. Forgive us for getting angry and judging. It's not saving anyone. Only your love is the, your love's the only thing that can never fail. Everything else fails. Government charity, church charity, it all fails. Only your love. Your truth can break the lies. Your spirit can renew a heart. Your truth brings hope to hopeless, hopeless, hopeless people. Only your light can shine in the darkness and wake the sleeping and find the lost. Lord, may we never be a source of rejection. 
everybody's already faced way too much rejection. In the name of Jesus, I speak to every person in this room. I reject rejection. I cast it off in the name of Jesus Christ. I tell you that you are made accepted in the beloved. That Jesus has made you acceptable to God and he wants you. He, he longs for you to know him and for him to know you. You are secure. You are valued. You are welcomed. You are not rejected. Jesus took that for you. I speak over our entire state, the entire Pacific Northwest, to every rejected soul, and I say, rejection, go to hell. The acceptance of Father God through the blood of Jesus Christ over all the Pacific Northwest. Lord, may you pour out your Holy Spirit here that there would be life, that there would be freedom, that there would be deliverance, that there would be salvation, that there would be the breaking of addiction and the mending of families, that there would be hope and light, Lord, that the region of the country that is known globally for violent arrogance and filth, cities that have been ruined by sin, would be known for righteousness, for light, for purity a display of the glory of Jesus Christ. May it be so in Jesus' name. And may it start right here in our hearts. In faith and love which are in Jesus Christ. Amen.